0: I think from my perspective, I'm looking at it in how to use AI in data science and data analytics so that I can customize and personalize customer experience better. Hopefully get insights, groups, uh, customer into segment of one.
1: Well, the particular business that I'm employed by uses it for vision systems, drone vision systems for the defense industry. So it basically, in, uh, involves object detection, object tracking, in video, from the drone.
0: <laughs> For We Teach Me, this is the Masters series where industry professionals share their secrets to success. I'm Sathya Shenanmish from Written and Recorded. Watch out, the robots are coming, or are they here already? And should we be worried? If you stop to think about artificial intelligence for a moment, the reality isn't anything like we see in the movies. The fact is, AI has seeped into almost every aspect of our everyday lives, and in a major way. Can anybody say Alexa or Siri? So it's not surprising then that machine learning and task automation are widely used in business these days. But how will AI continue to shape the future of business? And what do businesses need to do to keep up with AI in order to gain the most out of their marketing efforts? Mark Chatterton is co-founder of Ingenious AI, which designs and builds chatbots using conversational interfaces and artificial intelligence. Mark says high accessibility is making conversational chatbots a game changer.
2: Just like today, we've gotten up, we've started talking, the closest thing to an interface is I need to speak English. That's it. So, there hasn't been an interface you need to learn. You don't need to start to understand the buttons on my face or anything like that. It's just start talking.
0: We'll hear from Mark soon, but first, Susie Sheldrick. She's the marketing and community manager at Silver Pond, a technology consulting company. Silver Pond has been working with startups and organisations such as 7 Eleven and Australia Post to help them navigate major technological trends, including AI. Susie outlines the different types of AI that are available. And the scary thing, apparently, we don't know why AI thinks the way it does.
3: So yeah, I'm from Silver Pond. Uh, We're a machine learning company. We're a team of data scientists, technologists, marketers, and software engineers, and our aim is to accelerate the adoption of AI. So just because we have that range, we're just going to set a bit of the scene of like what is uh, AI, machine learning and deep learning. So we've got artificial intelligence, which is like computers mimicking human intelligence. From there, we've got machine learning, which as it sounds, is where we teach machines how to learn. Instead of programming the rules and it finding out the answers, we're giving the machines problems that we don't quite know how to create the rules for. So the popular internet option is cats, for example. Setting the rules of how to give a computer a new image of a cat and define that is actually really hard. Giving the computer an image of a cat and giving them thousands and thousands of that, it will learn its own way of defining that is a cat. So that's sort of the benefits of machine learning there. And then we've got deep learning, which is taken its inspiration from the way the human brain works, and that's why you'll see a lot of brains being associated with deep learning and AI, because it's using those neural networks. So I'm gonna talk about a few of the applications that we at Silver Pond have been using. Deep learning predominantly, but especially a lot of machine learning. Sports analytics. Uh, traditionally, things like Hawkeye have been huge in grand slams and professional tennis, but that requires eight cameras and a very complex computer network, What we've been doing is working out how to use object detection. So instead of having these eight cameras, it can be reduced to the cameras that are already being used by the television networks and a computer model. Road analytics, traditionally used with these rubber tubes, but the rubber tubes can't tell you what type of cars are going over. And that's really important for the road authorities to know like, are there more commercial vehicles being used, the sizes and that kind of thing. Asset detection to do these sorts of visual inspections requires a person either going up in a helicopter or on a crane with lots of cost and OHS considerations. We've been able to use machines to detect not only the number of assets but also are they in good nick. Time series data, so this is about the measure of smart meters over the course of time, and time series data is used a lot for prediction, like your stock market predictions. If you ever see machine learning in the stock exchange, they're using time series data. And this is a bit of a scary thought for people the first time they hear it, but we don't fully know why AI thinks the way it does and makes the decisions that it does. We're giving it the opportunity to learn its own rules. We're still trying to find out what those rules are. And so trying to understand how AI comes up with the decisions it does is really important. And that's called explainability, which goes into like the transparency. Um, Where machine learning gets really cool and interesting is when it's doing things better than people. So previously this case had a detection rate of about 40% based on people analyzing the images. That went up to 70 to 80% within the first few weeks using the Silver Pond model. AI isn't perfect, it can still be tricked and this is an important case for when it was going with autonomous vehicles where the model was able to be tricked with just stickers being placed over the stop sign. So these are things that we need to overcome before we have the autonomous vehicles uh, running on the road. Uh, Back to interpretability, so we've got a lot of really great ideas, but understanding why AI makes the decisions that it does is something that does need a lot of research. When it's picking cats from the internet, not so important. When it's being used in justice systems like it is in a number of countries and especially the States, they're using AI models to sentence people and decide on their parole, their bail, things like that. And so understanding how it is that the AI came up with that decision is incredibly important in situations like that. Bias. So this is from a story where this lovely young gentleman didn't fit the passport criteria because the AI model said that his eyes were closed, which clearly they're not. The problem there was there wasn't a wide enough data set used to train the model. Yeah, you really need to have a really good data set and a diverse data set, depending on your needs, of course, but if you're detecting people, you need to have all different types of people in your data set. If it's bad data going in, you're gonna have bad models coming out. If it's not diverse going in, it's not gonna be very effective coming out. South Korea's got the um, greatest density of our robots in the world. They're really at the cutting edge with robotics, and so, holding such a world event such as the Winter Olympics, they wanted to really make the most of that. So they had about 85 different robots on the grounds doing a number of things. There was the robotic fish in the fish tank. I'm not sure what the purpose was, but they were there. Then you had greeters at the airport that could answer basic questions and direct people towards another human that could get them in the right way. They had them doing cleaning, so essentially like the Robovacs on steroids as well as drink dispensers and things like that and then we also had the robot skiing championships which wasn't an olympic event but there was plenty of winners and quite funnily cash prizes for the robots but not for the people competing in the games but what was really interesting about this so we've got korea which is probably the most advanced country with robotics and certainly right at the cutting edge and this great big world event, and yet each of these robots had a person by them the whole time. They weren't confident enough to have the robots roam free, or they weren't confident enough with the people. So I think that says a lot with where we actually are with maturity and AI and robotics, is that they're doing some really great things, but it's not quite at the stage of letting them sort of roam free and take over, as many people are worried about. Another thing to be mindful of with AI is the ethics and regulation. And thankfully, we're seeing a lot more interest happening in this. The days of the engineer going, I just build the thing, someone else can deal with it, are hopefully becoming behind us, where people are actually being mindful of what they're creating now and where that's going to be in a few years' time. To that as well, governments are really getting on board with making sure they're not making the laws 20 years too late, which has traditionally happened with technology. The Vic government has done an Australia first with creating the all party parliamentary AI committee, which is fantastic that they're getting this together and making sure the right regulations are in place, as well as the right support for the industry in Victoria. And then we've got things like the AI Now Institute, which is a leading ethics body And then universities such as Harvard, MIT and Stanford are really leading the way with offering ethics courses within their computer science degrees. So that the people that are going to be graduating within years to come are going to have that background of thinking, what are the implications of what I'm creating? Uh, So if you're wanting to get started, really start small and experiment play around, there's some great tools online and data sets you can play with, tools you can start to play with. So start small, experiment and work out what's right for you. Uh, And that's all we've got for today. Thank you.
0: So while AI is often better than humans at detecting detail, it's still not perfect and can be tricked. in a moment we'll meet Mark Chatterton. Watching large corporations cut corners in customer service drove Mark to want to deliver a better customer service experience. He found the solution in chatbots. You'll hear more on that right after this.
1: If you've ever wanted to upskill, learn something new, or just follow your passion, We Teach Me can help you get there. We Teach Me is like the eBay of lessons and can help you become a barista, a baker or a blockchain expert. You'll find all the best workshops, classes, and courses happening around the country at the click of a button. Find classes near you at WeTeachMe.com. And every week, WeTeachMe's Master Series podcast connects you with industry professionals to help your startup to take off. The Master Series podcast is brought to you by written and recorded journalists for hire. Written and recorded create memorable content that helps your business rise above the noise. From blogs to podcasts, social media to feature articles, written and recorded will shape your content to bolster your brand. Find out how content can amplify your message at writtenandrecorded.com. And now.
0: Mark Chatterton is co-founder of Ingenious AI. It's a company that creates conversational interfaces which enable customers to communicate with companies in the same way they would with friends. Mark says by 2021, more than 50% of enterprises will spend more per annum on bots and chatbot creation than traditional mobile app development.
2: So... What we've found is every 10 years, there's been a generational shift in interfaces. So what we mean by that is basically in the late 90s, the websites were the cool thing to do. So everyone are all building websites. So that's been going for quite a while now. In 2008, Apple released their ecosystem for building apps on the iPhone and whatnot, and then the apps started to explode and people were getting lots and lots of apps on there. And finally, in 2018, we're seeing conversational being the new interface. And what we mean by conversational is, just like today, we've gotten up, we have started talking, the closest thing to an interface is, I need to speak English, that's it. So there hasn't been an interface you need to learn, you don't need to start to understand the buttons on my face or anything like that, it's just start talking. And we can actually start to have a two-way conversation like that. So it's that very high accessibility that enables conversational to be a bit of a game-changer. So what is a chatbot? The chatbot is just basically a robot that understands that language and can process it and start to do actions off it. So, you know, screaming at your Alexa to turn the lights off and things like that, it can actually do it and action it. So the first thing is to understand the difference between conversation and search is one of the big challenges. Search is all about asking a question into something like Google. But the problem then is you kind of have to know the right question to ask. And then you have to do all the work. So Google, you'll fire off a question like, hey, I'm looking to purchase an SUV. And Google will sort of taunt you and say, here's 9 million results in 0.57 seconds. And you're like, oh, that's great. Now I've got to read through all of them to try to figure out what car's right for me. It's great that Google can sort of give you all that information very quickly, and it tries its best to try and put the most relevant stuff to the top. But still, it's pushing all the work back onto you. But think about how a conversation goes. So if you call up someone or go into a dealer, and you're not sure about what type of car you want, there's a conversation, there's an interaction that goes, well, what are you looking for? Do you have a family? Do you want to tow a boat? Are looking for a sports car? Are you Are trying to compensate for being bald? That type of stuff. So it's all these bits of information that come in through that interaction, and you end up narrowing things down. So it's this ping pong of conversation that goes through. And one of the important things is, as a human, we're kind of pretty crap, basically. The computers can do a lot more than us in the fact that we can maybe remember in the one sort of conversation, three to five things at a time. But going beyond that, it starts to really stress our cognitive load, as they call it. So keeping that cognitive load low enables us to do a lot more, a lot more efficiently. So asking one question at a time and bouncing back is nice and simple. Asking me to think about all the different parameters in like one blurb straight out is quite challenging. And also, it's from a momentum point of view, with conversation, it's not so much the number of turns, but the amount of thinking that's required to progress. So as a quick example, when you go into like a barista or something like that, they'll ask you, hey, how are you going? What would you like? Not, what do you want, right? It's not about shortening the experience to the minimum thing. Like, you know, if they really want to be rude, it'd be what? <laughs> right? So, but if that's how they actually interacted with you, there's no way you're going back in there. You're like, you're a rude bugger, right? I'm not doing that. So understanding that conversation, there's a lot more nuance to it, and it's a lot more about the experience. So what's the technology that drives a lot of the chatbots? Well, as uh, the Silverhorn team sort of mentioned, natural language processing, or NLP, is a big part of it. And that's all about understanding not just the words, but your intent. So, for example, take the word hot. So hot can mean spicy, it can mean temperature, it can mean sexy, it can mean stolen. So there's all these different meanings for the same pronunciation and the same spelling. How the hell is a computer going to understand what we're saying? So if you boil that down, it comes down to context. So if I'm talking about a pizza, probably not talking about a sexy pizza or a stolen pizza. It's going to be a spicy pizza. So it's understanding that context. Now, while the NLP is getting good, it's nowhere near foolproof today, but they're improving it. The other main technology is speech recognition, so just uh, speech-to-text recognition, so being able to translate what we say so that the computer can have a chance at understanding that, feeding it into the NLP. So the way it works is the speech recognition understands our words, converts it into text, flicks it through to an NLP to understand the intent of what we're doing, and then starts to do an action. So, for example, what's the weather in Melbourne? Translate the text, sends it off to NLP, yep, Melbourne, Australia, send it back. And then finally, natural speech generation. And that's all about making sure that we can understand the computer back to us so they can generate the speech in a natural way. So you've probably heard of Siri and things like that talking to you. They're slowly getting better on the way that that voice is coming back to you so that it does sound as natural as possible and not as disjointed as the old school robotic sort of wording that used to do. So the whole sentence links together. It's not just saying the words after, after each other. So what are the types of chatbots? So just from a very high level technical view, there's kind of rule-based ones. These are fairly simplistic in the fact that it's a big if this, then that. So if I'm looking at home loans, then this is the content that you want to look at. So it's fairly simple to build from a flow point of view, but it doesn't suit all scenarios and things like that. The other way is what they call AI-based or NLP-based. And this is typically Siri engagements or Alexa at the moment. It's these short, sharp engagements where it's question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. There's not too much of a flow to it. So what's the weather in Melbourne? It's raining as usual. Not a lot of depth to it. And finally, the the best model that we've sort of found at the moment is actually a hybrid approach. So as an example, if you're a bank, I can start the conversation off of, hey, what are the fees? The bot's going to go, well, like a human would. Well, well, we've got lots of stuff with fees. What products are you interested in? So then they can go, oh, home loans. All right, cool. So let's talk about home loan fees. But if I was already talking to you about home loans and I asked what are the fees, don't come back to me and say, well, what products do you want? Like, I've obviously been talking to you about home loans, so tell me the fees about home loans. So understanding that context. And the context is one of the big challenges with chatbots and making sure that it's managed correctly and set correctly. So I'll go some quick examples. This is a very simple messaging chat bot. It's a GIFT bot called Giddy, and they've got a really good engine at the back end that's done, I guess, quirky gift recommendations. So it asks you some very quick questions about your friend that you're trying to buy the GIFT for, and then it'll start to provide a recommendation. So it's just basically a bit of a Q&A that it does and then provides them some smart recommendation. And they found this with the combination between the channel being over Facebook Messenger and the really smart AI engine at the back end doing the recommendations. Uh, they've got about a 30 to 40% conversion rate on doing things like that. So the combination can be quite powerful why facebook messenger especially for australia the main one is that there's 12.4 million monthly active users on messenger and to give you an idea of australia's population if you remove the under 13s and the over 75s because they're still writing letters that is about 70 to 75 percent of australia's population that are monthly active users on that channel so it's a huge chunk it's also a persistent channel just like with your friends and family if you start chatting It's a channel that you can jump back into at any point and continue the conversation. You've got a history and things like that. So the same thing can go with the chatbots. And to give you an example, say for example you've been talking with Australia Post, you've identified yourself and things like that, being able to jump back in and go where's my parcel as opposed to busting out the tracking ID and all the other bits and pieces, just where's my parcel? Because that's directly getting to the answer you're looking for. It's pretty feature-rich, so you can do location sharing, you can share images, short video clips. It's interactive and you can do things like account linking and stuff like that as well so you can match it with your Australia Post account. Obviously, importantly, no app downloading, which is a big thing at the moment. Like Getting people to download apps is pretty tough. Like just think about how many apps you've downloaded recently. I think there's a stat in, that's come out of the US that the majority of people haven't downloaded an app in over 12 months. So it's pretty tough now to get people to download new apps. So chatbots are a very quick and easy way because it's already in an ecosystem that people are playing with and messaging apps are becoming the number one place where people are spending their time at the moment as well. So it's taken over from Instagram and Facebook and other social media platforms. No account set up, so there's a fair bit of information that's out there that's provided as part of that initial conversation like their name and things like that. And finally, notifications are enabled. So because their friends and family are already talking to them on this, on this channel, most people have enabled notifications on by default so they can get their messages from their friends and family. So as a business, you can reach out to them and say hello as well. But obviously be conscious of the fact that if you abuse it, you will be using a very sensitive channel for, to people. So example of voice, so Alexa's just come out in February in Australia, but it's been out in the US for going on three or four years now, so it's got a quite a, a head start. So obviously you can just ask it to pay your credit card bill and, and things like that. So once you've done the account linking side of it, which is a little process you go through, you can then start to ask it to do very simple tasks like what's my balance, please pay my credit card bill, things like that, and it goes through a very simple Flow from that point of view to say, all right, well, which account do you want me to transfer the money from to pay to your credit card, that type of stuff? So, as an example, a large bank that was part of the launch for Alexa, they're only getting about 200 users a month through their bot at the moment. So, voice within Australia is still a very niche thing, but it will start to grow very rapidly once the devices get out there and so Alexa is kind of cool, so you can play with the voice of Alexa a little bit, so you can whisper, you can pause and add basic emotions in there, so you can play with the actual way that Alexa talks back to you and things like that. And notifications are enabled, so on the voice platforms you can actually do push notifications, so they just have the For Alexa the ring goes yellow so when you walk in after work or something like that it's a yellow ring you can kind of go Alexa what are my notifications and it will start telling you. So when should you consider a chatbot? There's a lot of use cases that people think would be great but these are some of the basic rules that we use for clients. Big payoff little effort so asking for an Uber to the airport and saying you know Alexa book me an Uber to the airport is a lot quicker than opening your phone, unlocking your phone, going into Uber, typing in airport that type of stuff. So it's probably like a minute to go through the app versus a three-second sound bite from that point of view. It's more convenient, so the thought process here is what they call the raw chicken moment. So you're in the kitchen, you're cooking, you've got raw chicken all over your hands and you have to do something. So you can just, using your voice, tell it to do something so you don't need to put the chicken down to deal with whatever problem you're trying to solve at that point in time. Top of mind answers. So this is one thing to remember. So the difference between voice and text does have a big impact depending on the use case. So example, if I'm on a voice bot and I ask you, hey, what's your tax file number? Very rarely many, many people in the room would actually know that off the top of their head, but you could recite to me your mobile number or your address, things like that. So understand the different mediums. So on voice, it's very um, time sensitive, whereas on text-based things, you've got a bit more time. I can sort of put that down, go get the details, and punch it in. Gartner's throwing this stat out there, which I I would like, because it's what we're doing. Um, But the gist of it is, by 2021, more than 50% of enterprises will spend more per annum on bots and chatbot creation than traditional mobile app development. And the reason for that is apps are becoming quite expensive to actually build out and maintain. Like Apple keeps throwing out a new damn interface and updates and whatnot you need to get on top of and make sure it's fresh. The UX designers sort of change the way things are working so you have to keep current with the new trends. With a chatbot, it's just the content. There's no interface. So I can build an Alexa skill and all I need to do is make sure that you can talk to it. So that interface isn't really going to change for quite a while. Uh, So from the development point of view, it's nice and simplistic. Uh, It's a lot cheaper to build and enhance these quickly. So the chatbot content. Can we just get the AI to create the content? Can I just throw my frequently asked questions website at the AI and go, just learn it and then start telling our customers what to do? Well, to the earlier point around the Harry Potter one, some of the the weird and wonderful stuff that really come out of it. So the tall death adder was wearing a shirt that said, "'Humami has forgotten how to dance, "'so Humami dipped his face in mud.'" All right? and the scary part about this one is there was some humans just giving, when the AI got stuck, it sort of showed him like two or three options and the human had to pick the best one. So even though there was like still some corrections from humans in this, it still basically come up with this weird and wonderful story that made no, very little sense. What we're doing at the moment is manually creating that. And the reason for that is a number of things. Is one, the AI really just sucks at it, but also the experience you're trying to craft. Uh, So if you think about the way that call centers are trained today, like they get given scripts and they get told sort of how to greet people and all that type of stuff. It's very, very artificial. And in a way they're kind of turning humans into robots. So we kind of go, well, let's turn the robots into robots, but take that same thinking about the conversation content and the way you're constructing it and teach the robots how to do that so we do that very simply by creating a persona so what's the conversational tone do you use emojis do you drop a gif in there every now and then to spice things up so how do you want to do it having a doctor be really funny and cheeky towards you probably isn't going to be embodying trust with you so being understanding of the right tone for the right purpose and things like that is very very important and we actually see that there's going to be a kind of a new role, kind of a conversational designer going forwards. And the cool part about that is the roles are coming from weird and wonderful places. So while, you know, everyone's looking at STEM and we need more people to sort of jump into that ecosystem, we actually see there's going to be a role now for the more of the arts and the fluffy side of the education side of things. So some of our best conversational designers are, a lawyer, who wrote some great stuff, and you're like, well, a lawyer, conversational design? But they're used to writing very structured documents and, and explaining it to people in something that's very complex in an easy way. And another one was actually HR. So, you know, human resources, they're always trying to take these legalese documents and get people to follow the process and the procedures within these organisations, giving managers tips on how to performance manage people and things like that. So it's weird and wonderful where the skill sets are coming from for that side of things. The other thing we're finding is there's sort of gold in the errors as we say so we had an insurance client and he sells business type insurance for some 1200 occupations so he had a bunch of people coming in and they started to ask do you sell uber driver insurance he didn't sell it at that point in time but he was getting like you know a bunch of people a month asking that one question he's like well obviously this is a product that people want so i'll just tweak my existing cab sort of policy to be an uber driver one and then i'll sell that so if he wasn't looking at those, the errors and the insights, then he wouldn't be getting that. So what we sort of say is, don't give the errors to the devs to fix, so they go, yeah, sorry, we don't sell that product. But give it to the marketing and the, and the product teams to get the insights of what their customers are saying to them. Because chatbots are very cool in the fact that they're instantly available. Uh, they are never going to judge the person for stupid questions. But it's also important to remember that text and screens aren't going anywhere. The picture will always say a thousand words. NAB found that the perfect number of transactions is 20 to display you on a screen, but no one listened to 20 transactions over voice. It was just too many, no one got past three. So understanding the differences between the two is very important. Plus, voice is not very private if you're in a public space. Like, I'm not gonna go reschedule my colonoscopy appointment over voice on the train, but I'll type it in. So there still will be use cases for that. So for us, we see conversation as being our first and last UI. You know, 100,000 years ago we began this journey as a species to speak to each other and have conversations. And now we've finally got the technology to be able to do it to the point where it understands us again. With that, thank you very much.
0: I just love how chatbots have a low level of judgement compared to us humans. Thanks Mark and thanks Susie. I'm so glad that the robots are our friends. Next week, when your startup isn't a startup anymore, you'll learn to take off your training wheels, scale up and propel your business to the next growth phase. Until then, I'm Saad Amish from Written and Recorded, and for we teach me, this is the Master Series.